This episode of Android Faithful is brought to you by Awesome. The Awesome Privacy Cable gives you much-needed control over when and how your data is shared. Get more info at awesomeprivacy.com slash privacy dash cable. Welcome to Android Faithful, your weekly source for the latest news, hardware, and apps for the wide and wonderful world of Android. I'm Gwen Dwedow. And I am Ron Richards. And I'm Michelle Ramon. And we are very lucky this week to welcome a very special guest, Mr. Chet Haas. Hey, Chet. Hey, everybody. Um, Chet, why don't you, I mean, uh, Chet were, is on the Android graphics team at Google, but you've, ho- you've worn many hats, so I don't know. I, I can't remember which exact hat you're wearing this time, but why don't you let people know who you are and what you do? Yeah, as a good example of that uh, hat switching, I'm actually on the toolkit team uh, Shoot, now. Shoot, dang it. <laughs> Again. So I've, I've kind of, uh, you would think I've kind of circled around, but I think of it more as like I took my career in a particular direction. Now I basically backed it off another 10 years. So I started out on Android in uh, 2010 as an engineer on the toolkit team. I eventually led that team. I went to DevRel and then I came back to engineering uh, onto the graphics team as a as an engineer, and now I'm back on the toolkit team as an engineer. So, and, yeah, and that, I just that, I rewound it all. I feel like that speaks in the pre-show uh, when we're sharing some memories of giving talks and and uh, referencing some of Chet's talks at various at Google I/O and other events. And the more things change, the more things stay the same. Where they or life is very yeah. cyclical, right? That theme. So <laughs> it is. I, I mean, there's also there's an aspect. I don't know what you have found in your engineering careers, but there's an aspect of we tend to work on the same kind of things over and over again. I've written at least three animation frameworks, for example. Yeah. Uh, and I work on graphics and UI and performance, and I just keep doing that. It's like, you know, different variations of the same stuff because that's what we enjoy. That's where you build your skills. And so you just kind of dig into that hole and you keep going down. I will share that. <laughs> I, I'm not as talented as you both are on the engineering side of things, but I've got, you know, 20 years under my belt on, on product, on the product management side, and I seem to have fallen into content management systems. I don't like... Yep. I, I did. I did one CMS when I was 21, and then every job since is always the first project has been the CMS, and like it's, so, it's uh, it, it's hard to shake the things that you do. So yes, yeah. yeah. So uh, good. Good luck finding things that you enjoy working on because you're going to do that again. Mm-hmm. And so if you pick a bad one the first time out, it it could be a hard life. Yeah. <laughs> so and, the sky's yeah. the limit. Um, but you know, watch that first job because then your sky will actually kind of get start to get very very narrow. <laughs> um, we're all we're all on sort of different paths here. Like for me, change is a constant because I'm constantly going back and forth trying to keep up with whatever y'all are doing on Android. Like 20 different teams, thousands of employees trying to figure out what you guys are working on and explaining it is just a never ending battle. Yeah. We try to make it interesting for you. So, <laughs> well, and there's it, no one better than uh, Chet who wrote the book, who literally wrote the book on it. Uh, literally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, hey, there's a plug. Look at that. Yeah. So everybody ne- definitely needs to check out Chet's book, Androids, the team that built the Android operating system. How, uh, Chet, on our former show, we talked to you right when the I feel like when the book came out. How's it? How's the reception been since uh, it's out in the world? So. Uh, it's good. It's had, um, two or three lives so far. So I, I originally wanted to find like a publisher and I don't know if for anybody listening, if you've tried that, but try to find a publisher, publishers are like, no, we don't want to hear from you. Go to an agent. You try to find an agent and the agent basically doesn't respond. Like, yeah. and eventually I'm like, I think this is an interesting story. I'll just self publish it because I want people to read it. 
Um, and then once it was out there, it was actually doing pretty well. And it was a little easier to approach a publisher, a small publisher at that time, uh, no starch press. And so a second edition of it came out, um, same book, you know, minor stylistic tweaks to it. Uh, but, um, that edition is doing well. And then there's also the, uh, the audio book, um, which I'm doing through a different publisher through Tantor. Um, so hopefully people can find this thing and get it where they need it awesome. and, uh, learn the story. I just, I wanted to tell it cause I thought it was interesting. Yeah. So I hope everyone agrees. We we agree. We are the Android faithful, yep. so we definitely agree. <laughs> speaking speaking of the Android faithful, we are this is our brand new podcast. You might have remembered us from a slightly different podcast where we did have Chet Haas on last year to talk about his book and pepper him with questions about it. Um if you happen to be listening on the live stream, maybe you haven't subscribed yet, so make sure you go to your favorite po- uh, podcatcher, whether that's Pocket Cast, Spotify, Apple, and subscribe, or just go to AndroidFaithful.com and just see Anything else that you need, any of the information you need to help uh, subscribe and listen to us every week. Uh, if you feel the need or to support us or you really like what we're doing, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Android Faithful, where you can get in on things like our Patreon news pick of the week, uh, an ad-free version of the podcast, and exclusive content and merch. And finally, if you are a social networking type of person, you can find us on twitter slash x slash whatever that site's called now at android faithful we're also on more less volatilely named things like facebook instagram and threads mm-hmm. and we love hearing from our listeners so always write you you're always able to write us emails at contact at androidfaithful.com right on all right so what do you say do you want to get into it let's do it all right let's Go. do some news twin you got the first story that's a biggie, yeah, so right? This is an interesting one. Get your drink drinks ready for your drinking game because yet again this week we got a story about AI. And in fact, we have a story about AI and Google Assistant. So Axios got a, a their hands or their eyeballs on an internal email sent to Google employees. And it confirms more or less what we've been speculating on from like, exo- like kind of like corollary news that Assistant is going to get an overhaul focusing on generative AI technologies, you know, bar, chat, GPT, have your drink. And this will, of course, fundamentally change, you know, many different things for many different people, the developers working on it, the consumers like us, and of course, for Google, uh, Google employees themselves, uh, and I guess other, other third party devs as well. The changes will start with mobile versions. And, you know, we previously talked about shifts in the executive leadership. Um, and in the email, which was signed by Google Assistant VP, uh, Piyush Ranjan, uh, Ranjan and Director of Product Duke Dekelis. Um, it confer- they basically confirm like some more team organization and unfortunately some small layoffs that will kind of, um, you know, be around that reorganization. And Axios, if you're really curious, has the full text of this article, of this email in their article. Um, and of course, you know, not surprising given how much we talk about generative AI these days and how other assistants and competitors like Alexa are similarly kind of trying to integrate generative AI into their assistants. So we surprised, not surprised, makes sense. I'm not, I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't know. I, it, I think it makes sense. Michelle, you probably got a, a, a POV on this. What do you think? No, I mean, absolutely. Like it's something that's long overdue. I think, I think everyone has had some kind of complaint with the way Google assistant has not become as smart as we thought it would be in the future. You know, like maybe five years ago, we all thought we'd be using Google assistant for everything. Nowadays I use it for timers, for checking the weather, for, you know, maybe hearing the news in the morning. It's not the, it's not what we thought it would be when it was first unveiled. But with, um, you know, using BARD as like a backend, maybe it could evolve into what we originally thought it would be. And I definitely am excited to see what kind of, you know, how exactly we'll be interacting with Assistant in the future. 
Yeah. I mean, I think to a certain degree, you know, I'm having lots of conversations in my day job about generative AI and AI as a tool set. And like, there's lots of concern. And obviously we're seeing AI in the, in the news, you know, specifically in, in, entertain, in the entertainment industry is it's a big sticking point in the writer strike and the actor strike currently going on in Hollywood where that, you know, they're concerned about, you know, the use of AI and what that means for their, their roles. And so it's kind of like, it's, it, it's, we, we, when you joke about like take a drink because it's so buzzwordy and it's so buzzy in terms of what's going on. Um, but it really is the direction of everything. Like, is there anything that you, anything technology based that doesn't have some AI component that we've heard, like, you know, it to help do what it's doing or anything like that? It seems like everything is going in this direction. So by that logic, this isn't surprising. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of skeptical for various reasons, whether that's the, economic impacts and like ethics slash economic impacts, like things like the writer strike, things like, you know, um, uh, gosh, I can't remember, um, you know, stability AI and things like, you know, of, you know, learning off of other artist sets. And then also just like the day-to-day questions of, you know, AIs having hallucinations or being slightly off and like the impacts of, you know, whether, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, lay people or non-technical people being exposed to when, information is not accurate but is said with a lot of confidence as I, generative ai does what is that term is it the is it the ai hallucination like when the ai is convinced it's giving you the right answer and it couldn't be more wrong and we've um, we've talked about that on our previous show and like we talked about in the past i mean like i i cited the example of i asked uh chat gpt to write an article about one of my other podcasts and it went through and did this whole very accurate 12 paragraph article about me and my other podcasters until it took a left turn at, at paragraph number eight, where it went on about how one of my co-hosts had cancer and podcast through his cancer treatment and, and uh, documented it. And he never had cancer. So, like, so, and we found what we found the spot ChatGP found a podcast listing page with our podcast. And on the side was a recommended podcast about someone with the same name as my co-host who survived cancer. And it just combined the two and made it fact. And so these are just like, it's it's all technology is going to have kinks. I'm not necessarily pro or anti AI. I just think it's inevitable. I don't know. It's but that doesn't this just mean that AI and computers are just getting closer to human because now they can just make <laughs> mistakes. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> it just used to be so dry with like fact, fact, fact. Oh, tired of all the facts. Just make yeah. some stuff up and pretend it's real. Keep it interesting, right? Like it's it's yeah. uh, keep people on their toes. <laughs> so. The, so it is so funny because I my husband and I just watched Blade Runner. 2049 finally this weekend and not to spoil that for anyone who hasn't seen it. I've yet it. to see it. I've, I just, but, okay, I so I won't spoil it, but I think, you know, it, not to get too highfalutin with it, but obviously, like, there was, a, you know, there's a whole question of, like, AI and how human AI is, and I suppose maybe we're already kind of there because, yeah, exactly. What's more human than being wrong? Yeah. Um, so maybe we're there ahead of the curve on us. Um, yeah. Just, but, you know, I don't know. There's, you know, there's a lot of talk about the downsides of AI, and obviously there's going to be a lot of work to be done to, you know, rein in. I think there was a recent announcement about um, a lot of companies are adding uh, metadata to images that are being generated by AI so that you can identify them. Mm-hmm. But I also like how AI is going to make, you know, a lot of these previous technologies a lot more accessible to the user. So going back to the Google Assistant story, one of the problems with using Google Assistant or any voice assistant right now is that you kind of have to understand how it works to be able to formulate a query that it'll actually understand and process. So like my parents right now, they try to talk to it but they don't really understand the right way to say something to where it'll actually respond, you know, you know, properly. Right. Like, whereas like, I know what I want to say beforehand, whereas they constantly have pauses, they might say something incorrect and is just not able to 
you know, search up and get the right answer for that. But with the, you know, large language model, it's, it'd be much more likely to actually pick up on what they're trying to say and generate, you know, some kind of answer that's useful to them. Well, of course, there's a lot of concerns around that, but I think this is one area that would be really helpful. Well, I, I will, uh, I will make one comment and then we'll move on. But in terms of assistant, Lord, things can't get much worse. I kind of want to set up hidden cameras and record my wife trying to talk to the Google home and get some, pull the song up that she wants and see how many times she walks away in frustration. So maybe this will help to, you know, to your point, Michelle, you know, get that, you know, get it kind of a, a little more push in the right direction, but we'll see. Um, all right. Well, moving on. Uh, one thing on the show that we do like is numbers. And uh, looking at the smartphone sales uh, in uh, by share by company in Q2 2023, uh, things aren't looking too great right now for the industry. Um, smartphone shipments fell 24% year over year uh, compared to 2022 um, with specific declines across pretty much every manufacturer except for Google, um, although that is deceiving in and of itself. Um, Samsung, uh, and, uh, Motorola and Alcatel saw pretty steep declines in shipments. Um, Apple was only down, uh, about 6%. Um, but Google was technically up 48% because their market share in Q2 2023 was 3%, whereas a year ago it was only 1%. Um, but if you actually look at the, uh, breakout by quarters, uh, Google's market share was 5% in Q, Q4 2022, and, uh, they are down 2% there in that regard. So, uh, you know, even though inflation seems to be going down, job market is up, people seem to be on pause on their upgrade path for whatever reason. Um, and we might, you know, we might get into that when we start talking during the hardware section about Samsung, but like, at least in this past quarter, not a lot of reason to upgrade, uh, smartphones. And it looks like the biggest kind of, uh, the b- biggest winner in the quarter was Google, probably thanks to the, uh, uh, the, the fold, the pixel fold, um, coming out on the market, which is a, you know, very high price point as well as wind shows are off. But, uh, we do love well, the numbers. So I think it was actually the seven, a seven that right. only come out like a few days before the, you know, they stopped collecting data. Oh, okay. Thanks do, do, do fold devices get double counted because there's two screens on them? At least actually, two it's screens. more like three devices in it because there's like one, two, and yeah. then you have another one, you need yeah. three. So, <laughs> triple? So, so there you go. There are some numbers to keep track of what's going on. I don't know. I mean, like whenever we do these sort of numbers, it's always interesting to see what the market share looks like and see what the, the industry, you know, the industry kind of looks like. I'm not surprised to hear a pause in purchasing despite inflation going down because there's still lingering effects of inflation and say like just because prices aren't going up currently you're still dealing with the fact that they went out the previous quarter and you're still saving your pennies and waiting to pull the trigger so um yeah. i'm looking at all these reports like over the last couple of months that you know iphone keeps gaining ground among young people in the u.s in seoul in, in korea and around the world and i'm wondering like what can google as the maker of android do to, you know, reverse this trend. And one thing that always comes to my mind is, you know, support an ecosystem that allows users to, you know, makes it harder for users to switch over. Because that's something I think Apple does exceptionally well. You know, their Apple Watch is pretty much, is only usable if you have an iPhone. If you have an iPhone, you have AirDrop, and that's only usable between Apple devices. Then you have all the integrations with MacBook and so on. And so, like, I think, like, I've recently started to think that, perhaps maybe the nearby team at Google is one of the most important things they're doing right now. Like all the initiatives they're doing to make Android devices work more seamlessly and kind of building, helping Android OEMs build an ecosystem that they may not be able to build on their own or, you know, supplant, like making them work everything better together. So even if you have one Android firm from one manufacturer, 
if you have a Windows PC from, a, you know, some other manufacturer, you're not just completely isolated from one another. Um, I don't know what do you have to, what do you, do you have anything to add to that chat? Like, how do you feel about, like, I, I know you can't say much, but how do you, what do you think can be done to draw users back to the Android side of things? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to leave this one to the product people because there's a reason I'm in engineering and not product. Which is fair, which fair is enough. a fair response. I, I think <laughs> I've always thought that I would have made uh, an excellent marketing person for a company that wanted to fail. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'll just I'll just step quickly back from this one and go, ah, yeah. We'll see. Um, important to note also that those numbers are worldwide numbers too. So that's not necessarily what's happening. Like, you know, that's also effects of Asia and that sort of thing too. So, all right. Um, well, moving right along, Michelle, you and I were talking earlier and I, I dismissed this story, but you said it was actually pretty big. Uh, so what's the story here? All right. So there are two aspects of this story. The, the first thing is what's rolling out starting today. It's the unknown tracker alerts feature that Google announced at IO. So for those of you who don't know, when Apple released the AirTag, they kind of unleashed, you know, a menace onto the world. People started buying them and putting them on people to stalk them and, you know, figure out where they're going without their consent. Um, so now, finally, if you have an Android phone, you'll be able to detect when an AirTag is on your person, an unwanted AirTag. And so, you know, you don't have to worry about someone stalking you without your knowledge. Because previously, you have to download an app that was made by Apple, but that app would only allow you to manually scan for AirTags. So it kind of made it useless. Yep. But now this is built into Google Play services. It's rolling out to everyone on Android 6.0 and later. So all you have to do is just have an Android phone in your pocket and you'll detect when an AirTag is nearby, you know, an unwanted AirTag um, is going along with you. And I think you do have to turn it on in settings. Like you have to go to settings, um, safety and emergency and turn it on there. But this feature definitely is something you should turn on if you're at all concerned about someone stalking you, which, you know, you, you don't know it's the problem until it happens. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sorry, too many jokes to be made there. I'm sorry, keep going. <laughs> the second big announcement is a little more um, unfortunate. It's the fact that Google is delaying the rollout of its Find My Device network, which was also announced at I.O. So this network would have enabled the hundreds of millions of Android devices to turn into, you know, like a location tracking network for one another. So uh, those of you familiar with AirTags, how they work and with iPhones, it basically would have done the same thing, but for the Android side of things. And a lot of tracker manufacturers were planning to release products that were compatible with the Find My Device network. But because Google is delaying the rollout of this network, they're not able to release their product. And if you're wondering why is Google delaying the release of the Find My Device network, um, the reason they're citing is because Apple has yet to roll out unwanted tracker alerts on iOS. And um, because of that, if Google were to release Find My Device network right now and the tag manufacturers were to release their products onto the market, then you would have a situation where these new trackers would be able to track iPhone users, but iPhone users wouldn't have any way to detect that they're being tracked. So Google doesn't want to release, you know, this new product onto the market and open up potential iPhone users, you know, to being stopped. It's a real, you know, it's that's a, kind of protecting iPhone users. It's a real uh, Star Trek uh, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few fr uh, solution there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, the, I mean, there's corporate responsibility for you if everybody's any qu yeah. question that, you know, so. It's, it's, <laughs> Google's really put in a tough spot here because, you know, Apple did this, like they released AirTags pretty much without having any tracking capabilities and they didn't really do anything for android users until much later and the app they gave is just half baked so like 
Apple clearly didn't really care about the safety of Android users at all, but Google is doing the responsible thing and mm-hmm. saying, we don't want Apple users to be hurt by the release of this, um, this product, mm-hmm. this feature. So now it's up to Apple. Like, you know, does Apple, you know, Apple is working on it, but um, the way Google released their Find My Device Network is they said that they used a, comp- they, a custom implementation that was not based on the um, jointly developed specification that Apple and Google worked on. Um, that's what enabled them to roll out, roll this out much more quickly or have them be ready much more quickly. But Apple is supposedly working on um, their own implementation of unwanted tracker alerts that is based on the joint specification. And hopefully once that is released, then Google can release their Find My Device network. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the assumption right now. We don't know exactly how Apple will respond. Will they slow walk it? Will they actually release it shortly after the specification is finalized? You know, it's Google's really in a bind here unfortunately. Well, we'll have to stay tuned and see how it all plays out, right? Um, this is an area of the world that I just don't, I mean, like, I understand the importance of it and that people use it. I'm not buying AirTags. I'm not buying any trackers. I don't use trackers. This is like, that's why when Michelle's like, oh, it's a pretty important story. I'm like, I don't care, but I see why some people would care and it does make sense for them. So. Yeah, and, and like a bunch of Android-based OEMs are releasing their trackers. So if yeah. anything, it's important to get all this, um, you know, security and privacy 2023, important stuff. Exactly, exactly. So Okay, so now it's time for our patron pick. So every week we put up for our patrons three news stories. And y'all patrons, our lovely, lovely patrons have until, uh, sorry, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific on, on our show day to vote. And the winner is what I like to call an OEM drama story. So on YouTube, there's like this concept of YouTube drama where you know, YouTube creators like make videos where they clap at each other or call each other out. Um, and it, I think it's fair to say that smartphone OEMs and for sure Android OEMs have their own OEM drama. So we've covered a little bit of this with like, you know, RCS drama with like Google using a Drake song to call out iPhone for RCS. Um, actually, last year, Samsung started a little OEM drama with iPhone 14 before it was released. And now in your latest episode of OEM drama, Basically, as soon as Samsung Unpacked started, uh, OnePlus released a tweet, <laughs> which said something like, we open when others fold. A little bit, uh, <laughs> kind of feels a little bit shady. Uh, sh- not shady as in like, you know, uh, cunning and, or sneaky, but, you know, just a little bit of shade thrown their way. Uh, and this obviously, other than just being kind of a fun poke at a competitor, seems to substantiate some rumors that OnePlus's entry into the foldable arena will be coming soon and will be called the OnePlus Open. Um, if you want a quick rundown of stats on what that is rumored to be, it's a passport book style foldable like the Z Fold. It's slightly larger than the Z Fold inner screen at 7.8 to the Z Fold 7, uh, Z Fold 7.6, but usual specs you might expect in 2023, uh, 2K 120 hertz inner screen, Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 with what, 16 gigabytes of RAM, 256 gigabytes of storage, and a 4800 milliamp battery versus the 4400 on the Z Fold five we'll see fold five or four take that um and also they're probably planning to ship the first half of august which is super interesting because that's when the z fold five and flip five will hit shelves so there's your oem drama patron pitch for this week yeah. there you go and look at that wordplay in the slogan there <laughs> in the tweet or whatever it was oh Open wow I was gonna say, Chad, as, as someone who's on the sidelines watching all this stuff like when brands snipe at one another is that welcome or is it cringe? Because um, I trust your your humor standpoint. Like it's got to be good, right? It's got to be it's got to be a good swipe if they're going to take it. 
I, you're assuming that I actually notice these things, which I, I tend to not, you know, unless it's like some big marketing campaign that gets in my face somewhere. But I don't know. Like it's, you know, it's a little bit fun to see, uh, see humans at work behind the corporations. Yeah. Which is what I think of when you see sort of, you know, clever wordplay or attempts at clever wordplay. <laughs> So can be fun. Yeah. I guess we're going to get to this for the Samsung Unpacked, but they actually had some wordplay where they kind of talked about um, funding innovations as being nope, but then nope, they rearranged nope to being open. Oh, flip side, yeah. flip well, side. We're going to talk oh. about it after the, after, okay. after the sponsor. Save it. Yeah. Spoilers, my bad. Well, that's coming up next. So coming up next is hardware. But first, uh, we're going to pause and we are going to thank our sponsor for this episode, uh, which is the fine, awesome folks at Awesome and the Awesome Privacy Cable. Um, so if you haven't heard about the awesome privacy cable before, it is a, gives you much needed control over when and how your data is shared. It's got a built-in switch that cuts off the USB pin and delivers USB data. So there's no software that could get broken into just a simple, straightforward, uh, air gap solution. And I've actually got the cable right here. Um, and we've talked about it before in the past couple of weeks. If you've been watching or listening to the show, you've heard me kind of rave about it, but it's got that fantastic, physical tactile switch right there on there. It's got a great little LED plug in, uh, LED light on there. So you know when you're plugged in that it's, uh, that it is enabled. And what it does is it protects you when you do plug in your, your device into a USB, uh, USB-C connection. Um, the LED flashes when data might be trans- transmitted when the switch is enabled. And it gives you an early heads up when a connected device is doing more than you expect. Um, the cable's got a durable design with abrasion resistant braided na- nylon sleeve and adenized aluminum, aluminum ed- end caps. And the switch, like I said, feels so satisfying and tactile, tactile when I do flip it. Um, it supports up to 60 watt charging speeds and USB 2.0 data speeds. Uh, and if you are carrying sensitive data, if you're worried about people, uh, kind of, uh, snooping in at what you have on your device or just generally, if you want to protect yourself when plugging in your device into a strange place, you want to use the awesome privacy cable. Um, you can go to awesomeprivacy.com slash privacy dash cable or go to Amazon where you can pick it up for just $30. And we want to thank the fine folks for awesome. They've been so supportive of this show, uh, and are going to continue to be. We're really excited to be, to be working with them. Uh, so check it out. Awesomeprivacy.com slash privacy dash cable. And we thank them for their support of Android Faithful. And with that, we are going to talk about hardware because it was a big week last week. And I feel like I've been talking about Samsung Galaxy Unpacked for like a month already. And when you've got to feel worse because you've, you've done multiple shows on it now at this point. But uh. <laughs> I, it's, it's a, so it's actually it's OK, because I think it's actually pretty exciting. Um, and I'm not just saying that just to say that. Um, so, yeah, Samsung Unpacked happened last week. Of course, on Wednesday, they need to get the message that we're on Tuesday. So if they could just, yep. you know, fit our schedule a little better, that'd be great. <laughs> so Samsung Unpacked was, in fact, in Seoul, Korea this year and unsurprisingly kind of like the, the the big star of the event was of course their flippables and foldables the z the announcement of the z fold 5 and the z flip 5 and i mean it was is about as samsung as samsung samsung can get you know of course being in seoul they had access to all of the all of the k-pop stars that you could want in fact bts's sugar uh was kind of highlighted you know quite a bit in some of the you know promotional materials but so yeah, the hang, of the show, hang on so yeah. I, th- that's not the first time i've heard that and i don't know who that what that is. Well, i don't know anything about it. <laughs> i'm sorry so bts not, well it is behind the stage but bts is is like the number one k-pop band ever yep. so it's, it would be like for us i don't know having taylor swift come and and sell the Pixel phone. Just, so it's like just that. to give you an idea, yeah. Just based on the rumor 
that one of the BTS members would be there. There was a pile of fans lined up right outside yep. of the entrance. It's crazy. Yeah. Just just because of a rumor that he would be there. Yep. Yes. Um also uh our our you know our host chant our host network, uh Daily Tech News Show, Tom's Tom's Merritt is knows an obscene amount about K-pop, yeah. by the way. I'm, um, I'm well aware of that. Uh, Eileen is a, is a big I, fan. I was very surprised. <laughs> okay, so that makes sense. Um, uh, but yeah, so Z Fold 5, Z Flip 5, and of course, another fairly big and interesting announcement was the uh, Watch 6 series with both the classic with the return of the rotating bezel, as well as kind of like a standard line. Um, a lot of emphasis on, you know, it a lot of emphasis on health, welfare, and lifestyle attached to the watch. This really felt like from the announcement, they were trying to present this like holistic, very Apple watchy experience where they want the watch to be not just the thing that sits on your wrist, maybe count steps. Maybe sometimes you listen to your podcast. It's meant to be, you know, a, a companion for your life and your lifestyle and your health um, with, you know, all the bibs and bobs like ECG, blood pressure, and all that stuff. Uh, and of course, Less seeming fanfare, at least from the, you know, live stream side, uh, for the S9 series, which of course is like the base, the plus and the ultra. Um, and, and kind of across the board, I think all the hardware was good, but it seems like a dot release, like more iterative, like just a little bit of bumps everywhere. Um, same thing with the tablet line, although there is something interesting in that, um, the, the tunable things, one which we noted last week with Max, uh, Wineback is that the base, all, all, all of the models have OLED and they are now all dust and water resistant. Um, so if you were waiting for a Samsung tablet and really wanted something dust and water resistant, this is your year. But I mean, I think generally the hardware, um, bump ups were interesting. Uh, and it's more like the software experience side that sold it, but that's enough for me. I think we we honestly should toss to Michelle because Michelle, I think you had a much better experience than I did watching the Samsung Galaxy Impact VOD. Yeah, so uh, the reason I was out last week was because I was actually in Seoul to um, go to Unpacked. On thanks for Samsung for inviting me, by the way. Um, yeah, it was a very, very, very cool experience to be in Seoul. I think it was their first Unpacked held in their home country, which is surprising because you know Samsung is a they're a namesake in Korea. They're one of the biggest companies in the entire country. And uh, as you mentioned, when like the focus of the event wasn't really on most of the other devices, it was on the flip, like the tagline for the event was join the flip side. Flip was all over the marketing. They took over like an entire street and like had like these flip decorations. They were like handing them out to users to, to, to test them out on the street and everything. So yeah, definitely the the highlight of the event was the Z Flip 5 because of that big cover screen. That was the biggest change hardware-wise in the new device. But uh, yeah, Unpacked was as you know, you'd expected. You, you, if you saw the live stream and you saw everything they announced, there was not really much to say about the announcement itself other than, yeah, it was cool to be there in person. I, um, I was going to say, I mean, you know, after watching it and when your comments and Michelle, your thing, like, I feel like this is the same event they put on a year or two ago, just with diff- just swap out the hardware. Like it was, it's the ecosystem. It's the watch. It's the, like what made this one yeah. different, Michelle, and uh, being in the audience. Well, the difference is that BT- because BTS, in Korea, right? we're able to, well, no, besides <laughs> that, but K-pop. because we're in Korea, we're actually able to see more from Samsung. Like being in San Francisco, all you have is the event and that's Why, it. Why did they roll, but did they roll out washing machines Seoul, and stoves? Or? For a lot of the, <laughs> I'll take one. For a lot of the media, for a lot of the media, we got to visit the flagship store in Samsung, in, um, in Gangnam, which is like a three story tall, like it's a, it's a, it's a massive place. Like 
it's like uh, the Google store in New York, but even bigger than that. You know, they have like a whole store full of every single flip and fold device, like all the colors, combinations, the cases, the wacky stuff, the merchandise you can't get in the U.S., like a like a Pokeball themed uh, Galaxy Buds case. I, I really want to buy some of that stuff there, but unfortunately they weren't on sale at, at the actual store. We also got to visit the um, Samsung Smart City, which is like located three hours outside of Seoul in a city called Gumi. And this is where they actually manufacture a lot of the devices. So like we saw um, a Galaxy S23 Ultra being you know created from like beginning to end through the entire assembly. And like I, they, they also showed off like they had fully automated that whole process. I think they're almost completely done automating that entire line. And like there's so many cool things we got to see um, at this factory um, that you, you, know, you really don't see how complex a smartphone is until you actually take it apart and look at all these tiny, 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 tiny components, right? All you see is the end product like this, this Galaxy Z Fold 5 that flips open, but you have no idea how many parts go into the hinge, the the display, how much testing is done, the constant folding and unfolding. Like they have a machine where it's like temperature controlled at 35 degrees centigrade. And then like they constantly change the temperature and then they flip and flip, uh, fold and unfold constantly to test how the durability of the hinge differs with the temperature. They have this robot where it's moving back and forth on a line, constantly vibrating to simulate you walking with your phone in your pocket. They have like a, they have a robot with two arms that's just basically pumping iron all the time to test like wrist gesture detection with watches. So much crazy stuff at like their automation lab, their manufacturing line. It's it's it was a wild. How much do you think is actually in use or just put on for the show to show you all that? Like, (laughs) I I could definitely believe that they're all actually using it. Like the amount of the amount of the amount of changes that Samsung makes to Android and is able to push out. You know, within only a couple of months after Google releases every release, like it's it's staggering how much they have to test and how much they have to constantly iterate on and how many phones they release in how many different markets. It's yeah. it's an immense operation. So, Chet, I would love to hear what your take on the foldable revolution is because, like, the Samsung built this whole presentation around the fold and the flip and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, we've seen Google come out with the Pixel Fold. Like, we're seeing more foldable. You know, Motorola's got another Razor coming. There are more foldables coming out. As You know, from your perspective, you know, I don't know. Do you have, do you use a foldable? Have you played with one? Like kind of what, what is your impressions of them? Uh, I do not right now. I have, I'm currently rocking a pixel seven cause I like that form factor. Yeah. Um, the, the, the thing that I'm trying to figure out is like, how do we get the perfect screen size that is as big as I want to see it when I'm watching stuff, but small enough that I can reach my thumb across the screen to tap that button without dropping the phone. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the foldables are helping because now they can make it a little bit smaller. On the other hand, it got thicker at the same time, thicker and heavier. I'm really interested. Actually, I was going to ask Michelle what the what the big push was with the flip because that to me, I wonder if that's sort of a future of some of this stuff where they know that everybody wants something smaller in their pocket, but bigger to watch, right? So does that does the flip form factor give you that? So I, I was curious, like in the big push that they had, I haven't looked into these uh, new devices was it about, hey, now the tech is finally here and everybody should get one? Or was it more a marketing thing, just go and everybody should get one? <laughs> I definitely think that the vision that Samsung has for the future is that there's going to be two classes of devices. There's going to be the flip 
for the everyday user that's going to replace the traditional candy bar phones that we have now and the super premium high-end Fold devices that are for you know business people, journalists, people who need to multitask because the average user is not going to be opening two apps side by side, pasting links from one email to another, right? They're just going to be casually browsing their phone on X, Twitter, whatever, Instagram, et cetera. So I think that's why they're pushing the marketing so hard on the flip because it's their most affordable one. And I think it has the most potential to break into the mainstream. So that's why they're going so hard with all the customization, all the things you could do with it, the price, well, you know, the yeah. changes. And, and, and not to, and not to, I mean, not to continue the play on words as we go through, but the, the flip is fun, right? Like they, they're like, they're showing, <laughs> you know, they're showing how you can take selfies with it. You can like, it's leaning into the fun aspect of the foldable. There's the F's, the world of F's now that we're in, but um, uh, yeah. When? Yeah, no. So I think what's super interesting is, um, and this is so, so lately we've seen a couple of foldables, like, like the evolution of the clamshell flippable foldable outer screen, right? So last year, you know, with like the Oppo and the fold four and a couple other ones, they're like kind of tiny, like little outer screens on the outside, right? So you can look at them and maybe like get like maybe a notification, usually the time and the weather. And then this year, you know, with Motorola, they created a screen uh, on the Razer Plus, which basically the entire like outer half of the clamshell is a screen and with the cameras kind of poking out. And I think actually um, friend of the show, Mr. Mobile, Michael Fisher, is he a friend of the show? He's a friend of the show. He's very much Michael Fisher, friend of the show, did a review and he basically said this is a kind of this is a phone that you can use. Like and fully use, like be able to do not just like simple checking of notifications, phones and, and text, but you could use it as a smartphone without opening it because because the screen is that significant. And I think with the Fold 5, it has a similar, you know, very, very large screen. It doesn't it isn't quite like hinge to cover as the Motorola Razor Plus is, but it's pretty damn close. Dang close. Sorry. You can, you can say damn. Um, it's okay. Man. I can Sorry. say damn. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn close. But what, what actually kind of blew me away yeah. is the software. So, so, so our own Florence Ion had said last year when we were talking about foldables is that the software at this point, the hardware is kind of like cover screens, notwithstanding the software experience is what's going to sell these devices, right? Like having software devices that really kind of are couture, like, um, I can't think of the word, like, you know, uh, fashion to fit the form factor. And so what I really thought was compelling about the, f- the flip five was the flex window flex cam. So something that was really interesting, and I, I might be a little wrong, but, but this is my interpretation of it from the Galaxy Impact was that their cover screen isn't just like has widgets or like, you know, usable size uh, apps. They have this whole flex window where it's almost like what Wear OS where you can flip between tiles. And so you can very quickly switch between different functionalities, right? Different views and different widgets. And I think that lends to what Michael Fisher is kind of getting at with like, this is a phone you can just use without flipping it open. Sure. Like if you don't want a big old like pixel fold, I thought this is really nice. I love it. Um, in your pocket, you can still have something that's very, very portable, still have a full size candy bar phone. But if you just are going around and you just need to be able to do a little bit more than just checking things, you still want to have like a smartphone functionality with a, with a hyper like portable form factor. This is kind of it. And, and part of that is the software experience, which throw me and other third party devs under the bus. We haven't been doing a good job at at all. <laughs> and so I think what's interesting is Samsung has kind of taken the initiative because they kind of had to, because the rest of us weren't listening and made an OEM, you know, they, they made their OEM experience really interesting with whatever's going on with that flex window. I, I pre-boarded one because I'm fascinated, but I think that is what's really interesting is that not just having this like fancy cover, but having a software experience that kind of, again, makes it easy for people to have fun and be creative and do all this like fancy stuff. So does that mean that the, all of the stuff happening on the outside 
on the exterior screen, um, when it's folded down is all Samsung stuff because otherwise, like if it, if it's random app stuff, that means app developers need to be plugged into that to some extent to make sure to that design the, the context. Right? Yeah. Like, and that's yeah. what I'm yeah. not a hundo piece sure on. It feels yeah. like almost like, um, sorry, go ahead, Michelle. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, I wanted to like a way to actually frame the think of it, the way Samsung actually talked about it at the event was they described it as you're basically using it like a smartwatch. And I think that was a really good way to think of it. It's like a basically a two-inch screen that you used exactly like a smartwatch. Of course, it's not running Wear OS um, at, in any form, right? Right, but, but what is the, the connection to the it, app? With That's it. interesting, though. Like, so it's you're running widgets, yeah. mostly custom widgets, yeah. and like yeah. a custom quick settings panel, et cetera. Like the way you're able to run full custom apps is you add a widget to the cover screen, and then that widget, I think you're just running apps on top of that, like an overlay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't know if there's any way for you know the ad developers to actually target the cover screen in any way. Like right now, it's all provide everything's provided by Samsung with like an experimental setting to run apps. Obviously, a lot of apps don't properly fit a two-inch yeah. screen. It, it, I mean, it makes sense because they have full control over you know the system UI or whatever that that sort of thin wrapper uh, widget thing is, um, so that they can make sure that that experience is really good for the users and maybe if things like that come online and they're really powerful at that point, maybe there's a developer ecosystem that makes sense for, for apps or developers to opt into it, but come out with the experience that makes sense first, instead of just saying, here's a playground and, and there's going to be a bunch of random stuff there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I still blame the lagging of third-party developers and, and I kind of understand at some point, I, 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 as much as like, I think as an Android dev, if I'm like a purist and I'm like, yeah, like exactly. Like I, it makes me feel a little icky to think that this is an OEM driven, you know, um, kind of like environment platform cover OS, whatever you want to call it, that is a little bit, you know, um, extra work, extra, R, extra development time, whatever, that, that it's a little bit of a branch, but they needed to do it. I'm all for it as a Fold fan. Yeah. So Mich- Michelle, you got your all hands right. on the Fold itself, right? Not the Flip, but yeah, the Fold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Fold. And I know we're running a bit late yeah. and, you know, I do have this device on loan for a bit. So I have plenty of time to talk about this in the future, but uh, I just want to leave you all with like a one sentence review. I get it. I get it, y'all. Nice. The fold. Jo- I, I understand us. now. <laughs> I understand. I'll elaborate more in the future, but I get it now. Well, no, elaborate. You, we got to get a little minute, like, yeah, like no, just totally. from a productivity yeah. standpoint or like what, like. From a productivity standpoint, yeah. I definitely get it. Like, um, especially with the, the changes that Samsung made on top of Android that allow you to, you know, freely open freeform windows to open, you know, three windows at a time to use the S Pen, the, in, the way that's integrated into the UI to be able to handwrite and everything. Like there's so many things that has done right on this device that I feel like it's going to ruin me if I use this for way too long, get used to all the productivity features and try to move back. Of course, like being who I am, like I have to go back to a pixel eventually and just c- continuously use it. But there's going to be a lot I'm going to miss, I feel, after I'm done with this. One of us, one of us, one of us. The, the, fo- the foldable revolution happening live on Android Faithful. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, 10 seconds. I just want to know for all my stylus fans that something I love about the fold, like Z Fold 5 is that the pen has a little carrying nook in the case, which was like my biggest thing for dropping off S Pen last year. Yep. Anyway, they, yeah. they, but I think this goes to show that Samsung is really designing, driving, and pushing for this experience, these foldable experiences. Okay, I'm done. Cool. All right. Well, it's it's an exciting time, I guess, right? And uh, 
when you also you went on Daily Tech News Show and talked to Tom and, and the crew about it, right? So you can go back and listen. This was recorded the day of Samsung Galaxy Unpacked. You can go to dailytechnewsshow.com oh, no, and find the episode right. as last uh, yeah. last week, uh, July 26th. So, uh, yeah, you can listen to more of that. And, Michelle, uh, we'll, we'll set some time next week maybe for you to do a more deep deeper dive on the fold, kind of a full review, because um, I think we all want to hear it now that you're uh, converted. So that's so so to speak. <laughs> All right, cool. So that was our hardware section. And now we're going to drop into apps because we've been tracking um, uh, larger screens for a while now. And right. And this is something that we're very interested in. So why don't you take it away? Yeah. So as I hinted, um, devs have been a little bit dragging their feetses on making large screen, you know, like really flagship, let's call them um, large screen experiences. And I mean, you, again, you can totally blame us. Um, and as 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 an Android, as a third-party Android developer, I'm 100% contractually obligated to, to, to hesitate supporting large screens because of ROI, which I mentioned so many, many times on this show and other shows. And part of this contractual obligation is basically to whine, well, why doesn't Google show us what large screen experiences are like first? And so uh, in response to that contractual whining that all of us third-party uh, app devs do, we have a now large screen, you know, tailored experience on the Google Play Store. It ha- it's, it's starting to roll out. It's not, um, I, had, I checked my Pixel Fold, it's not there yet, but this is in the process of rolling out. And this is not just necessarily a Google Play. Sorry, I turned her on. Hold on a second. Go to sleep, Go to sleep assistant. <laughs> Oops. Hey, G. Oops. Hey, G. This is not just a, a G Play uh, inter- not just a G Play redesign, but also kind of a re-emphasizing within the Play as a mark Play Store as a market on large screens. So there is, you know, a you know revamped uh, UI. Like for example, search is now two pane with like your search results and you know an individual search result that you click on being shown in a detailed display. So again, taking up you know lots of the you know kind of layout more appropriately. But there's also kind of other things that are more like kind of related to how an app is surfaced, how it's ranked within the Google Play Store. So basically right now, as it stands, um, there's better app. So ba- a- as you are kind of following, if you are a app that follows the large screen guidelines, and we covered this a little bit last year in other shows about how now there's like many tiers that are basically how well you are designing your app and implementing your app to large screen experiences. So there's like tiers, right? Of like, hey, it runs fine and it's not loader box to, hey, you are taking advantage of large screen features and, and have a very rich large screen experience. So basically on how well you grade on those tiers, your app actually, your app ranking within the Google Play Store and the visibility of your app within the Play Store can be affected by that. So that's kind of a big change. They they did, it was talked about last year, but this is now coming to effect where your ranking will be dependent on how well you, you know, support large screens. And this is great because this is, this is what we've been, this is what we've been asking for, which is like, okay, if you, you know, like Android 12 will like support it, you know, oh. a- added the large screen support in Android. And now with the pixel tablet and with the pixel fold, we're seeing more support of larger screens, um, you know, like and, and, they got to walk the walk to a certain degree and get developer and incentivize developers to develop for it. So yeah, hundred percent incentive, incentive, incentivization is super important. Um, if I, if I go back and tell a product manager that, Hey, we won't get ranked as high or our app won't be as visible, or we're less likely to be featured as an editor's choice. If we have a poopy, sorry, um, uh, you know, large screen experience, that's going to have impact. That's the kind of exactly the kind of thing that, that we've been fighting all these years. And as much as someone says, Hey, you know, large screen's awesome. You can do like drag and drop and all the kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that, 
as much as a any dev might wish to kind of implement these things and have a desire to implement these things, that's the kind of thing that you have that we need to kick in the pants yeah. that we can kick into other pants or kick other people's pants with to i don't know it just, we shouldn't no don't kick nobody in the pants but let's, let's, let's just be let's be let, no violence here when let's no, let, violence, yeah, no kicking people as, a metaphorical as a, kick in the pants of, as, a, a kick in the product pants as i told my four-year-old this morning let's not kick other people let's uh, no, that's, <laughs> no. um yeah. So, uh, so yes, be, be, be good. Like, you know, large screen citizens pay attention to, pay attention to, you know, the guidelines, but other things like, you know, um, if you're a game and you have high quality, uh, video to, you know, demonstrate, uh, gameplay in the new Google play store redesign, if you have a high quality video, it actually will become a banner video in your app listing, which is meant to kind of encourage apps or games specifically, but apps in general to provide high quality content in their app listing and app listings will kind of get a redesign to be more, to have more content above the fold. That wasn't a pun above the, above the bottom of the screen. Um, and, and to be able to kind of have more of your content and more of information and, you know, visuals of your app face for it. So if you are a game and you have a high quality video, it actually become like a banner video. So you get more of like an immersive experience for your, for users that kind of look into your app, de- uh, your game listing and things like that. Um, but yeah, big, big, big redesign design on the Google Play Store, both in terms of like the app itself and design, but also in how it functions. And the, again, emphasis on large screens. Um, so yeah, and a couple of things, um, I guess, <laughs> I, I kind of just want to briefly mention that navigation is always a pain in the butt for devs. Always, it's like a big question, like how to implement it, how to input well. How do we do UI? How do we do it like from a kind of abstract perspective? Um, something interesting is that Google Play is testing a semi-permanent bottom bar. Um, the bottom bar, I think I ranted about it last week, um, but basically um, just new things with the bottom bar, which shows games, apps, offers, and books kind of as the top level destinations in the Google Play Store. You might be getting that in more places in the app to kind of help you navigate a little bit better. This is kind of unique, honestly. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but the fact is like whenever you tap into something like, you know, a particular app listing or a search result, you lose that top level navigation. And it seems like 9to5Google found that they're kind of doing some, sounds like A-B testing or something with kind of making those top level destinations more visible. So lots of Google play redesign um, and refactorings and, and different, you know, ways of working uh, on our horizon. Chet, have you, so. have you gotten to play with the new pixel tablet at all there in, in your, in your travels or any tablets? How do you feel about large screens? Um, good. <laughs> uh, no, I, I haven't actually been playing with that at all. The, the stuff I've been working on is more focused on sort of fundamental platform stuff. Not, uh, all right. uh, not that stuff in particular. Some of the people on the teams I was on though, the graphics team and the toolkit team, like are working on, you know, APIs to make these things better or, you know, making the functionality easier for devs or better for users or, you know, faster. There's always work, especially if you think about any of the new devices that come online, like more screens means, more pixels and, you know, faster refresh rate means more pixels. And all of the stuff means you need to do your stuff faster to get it to the screen faster. So CPUs and GPUs are always getting faster, but not necessarily always, you know, in lockstep with the amount of information we're trying to display. So there's always a race in, you know, in particular, the teams that I tend to work on 
of, you know, just trying to like catch up or, or improve and, and get better and get the stuff to the screen faster so that we, you know, reduce jank or, you know, just make a smoother experience for users. So all of that stuff is always a, a race when, you know, the, these new things are coming online. Cause it's all going to work in concert together, right? Like, you know, like there might yep. be an adva- advancement on one side of the, the, the office, but the other side's got to catch up and vice versa. Right. And so, yep. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Cause I mean, you've got super premium devices coming out and they can do all this stuff and they have all these, you know, amazing capabilities with the screens. And then it's a bummer if, you know, applications are stuttery because, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, do, so do you think you, you they're like, sure. oh, sorry, um, Go ahead. What, what percent do you think is worth like our fault versus your fault? <laughs> throw me under the bus if you want. I'm ready. Throw me under the bus. <laughs> I honestly, every performance situation is kind of its own unique thing. And it's, it's a little hard to track down. Like there are certainly things that, you know, we're doing or can do at the platform level or the Android X library level, constantly looking into, you know, how we can make stuff faster. Um, there's also stuff that apps can do and, and kind of starts with the app developers because we can't, we can try to build general purpose libraries and platforms that, you know, take care of everything we can imagine, but we can't imagine everything, right? We don't know how the apps are going to be using this stuff. And so the finding out the best way to use it and, and the way to avoid the problem starts with the app developers actually profiling and saying, hey, this thing didn't start as fast as I wanted it to. Or when I flung the list, there was a little bit of jank in the middle. And, you know, there's always a hiccup when this particular type of view comes into being, okay, so what's going on there? Like, what is the what is the action that triggers that? And then figuring out, okay, well, maybe it's actually app code because, you know, you're initializing too much stuff when you don't need to. Maybe there's something going on at the platform level, but like without your app, without that use case, we may not have known that. Um, so at that point, Hey, file a bug, you know, or help us, help us track down what's going on. Because honestly, we're, we try to create these situations internally. We're like, well, so what if somebody does this? And we have tons of benchmarks and tests that we run and continuous integration tests, but these are based on, you know, little unit test ideas that we have not real world, um, situations. So it's always really helpful when, a developer says, Hey, when I did this, the following thing happened, which doesn't seem right. And then we can actually like track that down and sort of figure out what the underlying problem was. You know, whether it's, whether it's on the app developer side or on our side doesn't matter, but having the use case is really important. So it's a conversation always between basically y'all and us and trying to figure out where the problem is. Not I mean, necessarily whose fault it is, but. Yeah, it can be. I'm, I'm just saying like, if it does cross the fence, then it's kind of, it's really helpful to get, you know, a bug report with enough information that we can actually reproduce the problem. Um, maybe the problem is all on the developer side. Like, yeah, you're just doing a whole bunch of stuff. You're uploading a bunch of stuff in the background when you're trying to, you know, display on the UI thread or whatever it is. Um, and hopefully it's all solvable on your side of the fence because that's certainly easier and faster. But if it's not, you know, if you're running into something that is that is clearly something that we could help out with, hey, file a bug and and help us track down what the issue is. Cool. All right. Well, not to switch gears, but Chet, I couldn't help but notice under your name you have your uh-huh. your handle on Threads. So yes. uh, does that say more about Threads or more about what's going on uh, on the other across the street? <laughs> but how do you, how do you like thre- Threads? Threads came on the scene like a whirlwind. Uh, what 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 are your initial kind of thoughts of it? It, it did. I I like the rest of the social media universe. I think I'm trying to 
figure out where things are going in the future. Yep. Uh, I was happy with a social media platform that I used for many years. And there's a large community of people um, that are honestly probably following me because they think I'm going to talk about technical stuff. And then I drop jokes on them instead. <laughs> but <laughs> we like that kind of <laughs> that entered a period of chaos that only seems to be getting even more chaotic. Yep. And in the meantime, other things have cropped up. So I went over to Mastodon and I joined that and I, um, I love what they're trying to do. Uh, I also feel like you kind of need to be an engineer just to join. Like when, when a platform <laughs> says, of entry, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, Oh, that's, that's great. Please join. What server do you want? And uh, what, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not an engineer, what are you going to do with that question? Um, <laughs> And, and I, I am there. I do post stuff there. There seems to be less engagement. I don't know if that's a reflection of how many people are there or just the amount of engagement, um, people are, are actually doing there. Yeah. Uh, and then this thread things, threads thing came online. And I have to say, like, out of the gate, it was a pretty nice experience, uh, in terms of being pretty new to the market. Obviously, it's coming from a company that's been doing stuff like this for a while. Yeah. Um, I, so just in terms of user experience and what they were, trying to do at first i i think it's uh is promising um you still have the like the follower problem like you can't magically make all the the people in your community appear there right well they um, did, so they did we talked about on the show they did have the advantage of having a, a tie to your instagram account so at least your instagram community could come with you if you chose to go that route I had two two followers. Yeah, so that there <laughs> there is an institution. Oh, yeah. I had nothing. <laughs> you know, it's hard to hard to it's hard to argue that Threads had a ton of potential out of the gate. Now the question is, what does yeah. longevity look like? And now here we are seeing getting reports coming out of uh, Meta that um, over half the people who signed up for Threads have stopped using it already, which I do think might be a little clickbaity as they are getting through. You know, kind of they're they're uh, drilling down into what the actual usage looks like, but it, there is an important note here which is that like the the key and i think we all in our experience with mobile apps stuff like that the key is retention right mm -hmm. so you introduce an app you get a hundred million users in the span of a week which is just amazing and record setting how do you keep them on the platform right how do you keep them coming how do you keep them checking out i know personally for me where I mean, for better or for worse, I spend the majority and I might be different. You know, Michelle, you and I might be very different. I spend the majority of my time in front of my computer all day, not on my phone. Right. So the lack of a web client for threads is a real limiting factor for me. I would be a lot yep. more active yep. if it was on the web, things like that. So they definitely need to start, uh, develop, you know, they, they, now that they put it out there in the world, they need to, uh, kind of step up and give people reason to come back and keep using it. Um, so I don't know. We continue to watch it. We try to talk about apps that aren't Google because it's so easy to talk about Google all the time. Here's an opportunity of like an app on the scene that's hard to ignore. But, um, when did you have any thoughts around the, the threads, uh, re retention? Problem? Yeah. So a couple of things. Like, so number one, I, I know they talked about retention hooks and, you know, more features. And I think what they cited was a desktop version, which drove me nuts because I don't need a desktop version. I want a web client. I, I don't need a desktop specific PC, Mac, whatever version. I, I also. I do though. That's okay. If we can have both then. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. We can have both. Like that was the great thing about Twitter was that like you had desktop. I had TweetDeck. They took TweetDeck away from me. Then I, you know, like all those sort of stuff. But like I'm a desktop user. Yeah. But Ron, you know that the web runs on a desktop, right? Have you seen <laughs> I, this? I'm aware it's of a that. new thing. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's something that kind of struck me though. Um, and maybe like as, as, as a group of like, you know, engineers slash product people, I kind of wanted to, to ask about first impressions, right? 
because the other site that most of us have spent time on and built a community on and, and, and we're able to discover both, you know, new connections and new information on, like, you know, we, we've built up a relationship with that and we have like expectations of experience and functionality and things that we want to do. And then of course, you know, I think there's, a, there's like, when adopting a new thing, there's kind of like an expectation, you give it some leeway, but did threads make a good enough first impression? And that's kind of what hit me because like, as you said, the following thing was a little bit weird. Like that experience yeah. was a little bit odd. Not having a web client is a little bit weird. Even just not having a followers. Is, is it true that they don't even have like a following tab yet? They have like multiple tabs well, with, which did, show you like they, activity and stuff, but they still don't have like there, your followers. There was, your following? I think one of the, yeah. yeah, I think one of the biggest issues is like it, the experience really was different. If you were already an established Instagram user who were following a lot of people versus if you weren't. Yeah. If you were an Instagram user, then you already had a lot of people to follow. And then your following feed, you know, you're by default. I mean, now you have a following feed. Previously, it was just for you. You actually had stuff to go through. Whereas if you're a brand new Instagram user, you just throw onto threads. Well, what are you going to do? You have nothing on your feed. You got to start following people. And there wasn't any good algorithmic feed for to show like interesting content. So you kind of had to just go find users to subscribe to. And that was a really miserable experience. Right. I, I also found like I... I felt like I was an ML model having to like train itself where I had to just start muting posts that showed me pictures of lunch or celebrities or sports or all the stuff that any algorithm in the world would know I never want to see any of. Uh, but I had to do that manually because I did not have the follower feed. Right. So then I had to, you know, find some of the people that uh, I would follow and see who they're following just to build up some amount of like content I might be interested in there instead. So there was a, a bit of a training ground for it to begin with before the feed got a little bit more reasonable. Yeah. And this, and I see this as completely a business issue because like what you have is you have a massive company like Meta who move very fast to get something out to take advantage of a business opportunity because of what was yeah. going on at Twitter. Yep. And in doing so, sacrifice functionality. If they sat and wait on it, it'll be perfect. Um, what is the phrase? What is the, what is the per perfection? Uh, is the, what is, uh, <laughs> you know, that perfect, yeah, 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 exactly. uh, good be the enemy. Yeah, yeah, the the enemy perfect. Yeah, yeah, no, like, like, I, and, and, uh, you know, a, 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 um, an advisor to, to one of my startups, um, gave great advice once, which is that if you're not embarrassed by your first release, you're doing it wrong. Right. Which I think is totally true. And what we, what we normally see is we see an app come out into the world give you a paradigm or this is what we can do and slowly add functionality as it slowly builds user base. And then by the time it gets critical mass, the features have matured and evolved. They've gotten user feedback. And here you just had not even a hockey stick. This is like a, a, a rocket launch, right? Where all of a sudden a hundred million people are expecting the same functionality of a Twitter, which is hard to do. So I don't know. Anyway, but. But I think it's interesting because again, like if it was something new, like I'm sorry, we're both referencing the BlackBerry movie because it's something novel and interesting. So there's no, there's no expectation. You know what I'm saying? So a first impression can be overcome with all the other Twitter X, whatever alternates. Does, is the threads have a chance of getting over a, a, a lukewarm first impression? It's a good question. I mean, with that minute, with a hundred million users, I think so. Even, even if half the people don't come, that's 50 million users. How many people with a web app would die for 50 million users? Fair enough. Right. <laughs> Yes, please. So. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, tell us what you think of threads. Uh, e email us at contact at androidfaithful.com. We want to hear from you. And speaking of that, we did get some emails from you. And I know, Chet, you've got to run soon. So we want to get through these quickly so we can say goodbye. But um, uh, our first email comes from Chuck in Thousand Oaks, California. And he says, I'm a longtime listener, 13 years of listening all about Android. You are the Android expert, or so I thought. 
I listened to your review of the Pixel Tablet in Episode 2. I was pretty disappointed. You had no idea. It's a pretty killer good dashboard. Really, it is. Watch this video from a YouTuber I follow. This guy's not known for his Android expertise, but he sure knows how to make the Pixel a great dashboard. And I went and checked out the YouTuber that he's talking to. This is somebody named Smart Home Solver. And what he does is basically suggest installing a kiosk browser onto the Google Tablet to make it the dashboard that we wish the Google Home app was. Uh, which I get is an option that you could do um, and didn't really bring that up though in my review of it because I was looking at the Pixel tablet out of the box. But Chuck, I really do appreciate you keeping us the task uh, and thanks for the feedback. So uh, yeah, so go go check out uh, Smart Home Solver. He does a great video on, uh, on the, the Google uh, Pixel tablet as a smart home dashboard. So, all right, our next email, win. Yeah, so this is from John from Cincinnati. Hello everyone, thank you for bringing the pod back. Glad to be back. I have a bone to pick. Android makers should indeed give us SD card access. I use SD cards to hold all of my music I listen to when flying. It's important for travelers to be able to access media when offline. Luckily, I work for a company that manufactures rugged Android Android mobile devices, so I can have this all-important offline capability. Bring back the SD card readers. Thanks again, John from Cincinnati. Um, And I guess this is in reference to last week where we we had Max Wine back on and talking about things that we may not need or do need. I, I guess everyone always has something that they want. Um, and for sure, John wants SD card readers. I love the SD card reader camp, by the way. They really want those back in their phones. And I get it. I don't know. But I, I moved on. So just like I moved on from the, the headphone jack. So, all right, great. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of our show. Uh, Chet, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. We really appreciate that. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, what, where, where can they find what you do? <laughs> There's that thread thing. There's uh, There are also other social media platforms. I also write a bunch of articles, technical and non, on Medium. You can find me there. Um, ChetHaas.com is where I have info about the history book and the other stuff I do. And that's that's probably good enough. Awesome. Sure. Well, we appreciate yeah. you joining it, us here. We, we're a big fans. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Always yeah, fun to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. And like you like you mentioned earlier, you know, if people follow you, uh, they're going to expect to get a lot of jokes on your social media feed. And I, I concur. You, I, you're probably the funniest Googler that I know that I follow on social media. Ooh. Okay. I'm not sure if that is a low bar or a high one. Intentionally funny. Intentionally funny as well. Intentionally Intentionally funny funny is key. Yeah, there it is. Your jokes land. Your jokes land all the time for me. All right. Appreciate it. Well, speaking of that, Michelle, where can folks find you? If you want to follow dry Android news, you know, just the news, then you can follow me at Michelle Ramon. You know, all my links are at this link tree link right here. Uh, My handle is pretty much the same everywhere. Um, Twitter slash X threads, Instagram, Mastodon, etc. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you, Michelle. And when, where can people find you? Yes, I am an Android developer. I talk about Android development things like, you know, large screens. Actually, I don't talk about large screens because again, contractually obligated to, to be like, you know, hesitant about it, <laughs> at least for now. But you can find all my stuff on randomlytyping.com. And I am at Queen, I am at Queen Code Monkey on places where you can, you know, be an at something. Social media networks like threads x and other places like that cool and uh for me i am ron xo uh all across the board and i didn't pull up i never pull up any of my stuff when we're doing the show but i was very excited because i did have an experience of uh one of my instagram posts of this band called lincoln that i saw sorry i'm not logged in uh 
went, went a little viral. I posted a video and it got picked up by Stereo Gum and some other sites out there. And I had people asking me permission to repost it and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I went to a fun show this past weekend in Washington, D.C., saw bands play and uh, went viral in the process, which is pretty cool. So follow me at RonXO on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, Mastodon. Uh, I think I'm still on Flickr. I might not be RonXO on Flickr, but I'm somewhere on there. There, there are pictures from 20 years ago on Flickr that are out there. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, this podcast publishes every Tuesday evening. You can go subscribe at androidfaithful.com. Of course, if you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash androidfaithful. We love our patrons and please, please support us. You can get an ad-free version of the podcast, exclusive content, merch, all that fun stuff. Um, as always, email us at contact at, uh, contact at androidfaithful.com. We love to hear from you. We'll get your emails on the show. Uh, until next time, we will see you next week on the wonderful world of Android Faithful. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.